Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. This is Trista, and I've got episode number six for you for the Better Etc. podcast. Today, I'm speaking with a friend of mine named Celine McLarenin, who is a certified grief recovery method specialist and social worker, and she's here to chat with me all about grief. We discuss what grief is exactly, the associated myths, how we can deal with it, and how we can help others through it. We talk about how grief is emotional and not intellectual and how you can't go over or under grief, but how you have to go through grief. And let's be honest, we are all grieving right now. There are so many losses that we have experienced in 2020 in terms of how the pandemic has affected our lives. And this episode will not only help those out there who are going through the significant and life-altering loss of the death of a loved one, but also for the people out there who are like me and just trying to survive and live their lives. So, Listen in on this conversation, and I hope it gives you some ideas on how you can move forward and honor both the big and the small losses in your life and still find happiness. And as always, I would love for you to head to the podcast page and give us five stars so that we can reach more and more people and continue these great discussions. So I hope you enjoy today's show. Here we go. Super excited about today. I reached out to a friend of mine who lives locally here in the Vail Valley. Her name is Celine, and she is kind of a local expert on grief. She has studied the grief recovery method, and I wanted to bring her on today to talk all things grief, and especially in the times that we're living in, I think there's a lot of grief going around. So thanks for being here, Celine. Thank you for having me, Trish. It's great to be in your home and across the room from you. (laughs) We're trying to be safe. And she showed up with her mask, being very, very vigilant. Got to play her part. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dig in. I would love to know how you got into counseling and especially working with people in terms of grief. It has been a neat journey that I've been on over the last several years to get me to grief recovery specialist. I got my master's in social work in 2000. And I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I wanted to get home to be closer to my family. And so I packed up my bags and came home and got a job with the home health and hospice agency that was out of the hospital. Never thinking that I would have to do anything with hospice or didn't even know what it was at the time. Ended up seeing patients and families at the end of people's lives, whether they had dementia or cancers or failure to thrive was also a diagnosis that people might have had on hospice. And so I did that work for many years, took a little break. And then when I went back the second time, I just needed to hone in on those skills a little bit more. And I had a brochure that came to the office that was about the Grief Recovery Institute and the method that they used. And so I got myself to that certification. And lo and behold, I thought I was doing that work for patients that I was going to serve shortly after that when their loved ones died. But as I did that certification, I also got to work on my own grief with my mom passing away. Uh, She died in 2007. And so through that work, I got to take care of myself and trust the things that I needed to honor in my own heart and soul about the loss of my mother. And then I got to bring this beautiful program to people at the end of their loved ones' lives and helping them um, transition a little bit easier 
grief is difficult. Grief is individual. But if I could help anybody feel a little bit less pain going forward, that would be a wonderful thing to give somebody. So that's kind of how I ended up doing this work. And then I've been doing it on my own, not connected with the hospice anymore, but mainly just my own groups and seeing people one-on-one and providing that guidance for them and the giving them different tools so that they can move forward in their grief rather than just being stuck alone. It's important, I feel like, to not feel alone all the time, but especially when you're grieving. So the hospice center was how you found out about the grief recovery method? Right. We had the book on the bookshelf, the grief recovery handbook, and I read through it. And then all of a sudden this brochure came through my mailbox, I think the following week. So I think it was just sort of serendipitous that I needed to take this leap and get the training to be able to provide this help for people. So what does it look like when we'll get into the details of the grief recovery method and all of that, but what does it look like right now in terms of COVID and is it all digital? Is that all online? Do you still do it to this day? I do. I I think when COVID hit and we were isolated in our homes for several weeks and kind of feeling all kinds of different kinds of losses at the time of COVID, our kids not going to school, loss of our jobs, loss of freedom, being able to go out to eat, any of the things that we sort of not necessarily took advantage of, but were our fast paced world all of a sudden came to a halt, right? So I kind of said to my husband, I I think I'm going to be busy in the coming months. And I haven't been super busy, um, but I, I think everyone's still sort of trying to figure out where they are amid COVID and how to function in their lives. So it's not as if they're running to get help at the moment. They're just trying to survive simply still. But I think it'll come in time when I'll be busier where people need to take care of their self-care a little bit better. You started as a social worker, correct? Yes. So where did you get that training and how did that develop into helping out with hospice? I did my master's in social work at the Portland State University in Oregon. And before that, I was working in a facility for mentally ill people. So I was just kind of taking on jobs that spoke to me about social work kinds of things. And I knew when I was moving back to a small town that I grew up in that I needed to find a niche here. And home health and visiting people in their homes was a great place to start in the Valley. And what was neat was that I was actually like helping my parents' friends pass away. And that got to be difficult at a time because they see me as my mother's daughter versus the professional social worker that's coming in to help the family kind of figure out what's happening in the next days and weeks to come. But I also felt like that gave me an in already to that family before I had to help them with those other decision-making things. And they trusted me. So it was really neat. And I think even with my grief recovery work, being in the small town and and people knowing who I am, they can trust me, that they know that I'm going to take care of their heart and soul. And so I appreciate that people can come and see me even though they've known my parents or known me in my life and know that they can trust me and know that this process will help them get further away from that pain that they experienced from a loss they had in their lives. Yeah, that's really tough. But I think especially because you're local, being able to help people and the fact that they can trust you, I think is really important when it comes to anyone that you're sharing any kind of emotion with. Trust is is really important. So that's fantastic. I feel like therapy has come up for every single podcast that I've done so far. And I think what's key is finding a therapist that you can trust and, and that you vibe with. So I think that's great that you already had that connection with these people. What I'd like to get into now is 
grief itself and talking about the details of grief, the description of grief, the definition of grief, and all of the different kinds of grief. I know on your website, you have a whole list of them. And what was interesting to me was that there were so many positive things on there. So I'd love for you to talk about what grief is exactly and all of the different kinds of grief. One of the best definitions of grief that I've learned through the Grief Recovery Institute is that grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss. I'm glad you mentioned that on that list of things on my website about what loss is, there are some positive things on there. Retirement is a positive thing. Marriage is a positive thing. But they can be equal losses because all of a sudden in a marriage, you've gone from being on your own to having your own schedule to your own responsibilities, to then taking on another person. And so it's not that marriage isn't happy. It's that all of a sudden things have changed and you have a roller coaster of emotion about what just happened, mm. right? We can be very excited about 25 years of retirement, but you don't know what to do the next day when you retire because you're not following that same pattern of things that you've always done. So grief is about conflicting massive emotions, that happened at, at any time. And it's because of the change that we experience that makes it so profound. When my mom died, I could be relieved that she's not suffering anymore, but I'm extremely sad on the other end that I wasn't able to spend the rest of my life with her, that she wasn't going to meet my children. She wasn't going to be there for the monumental things that I was always expecting that she would be there for. So that's an example of how that conflicting massive emotion kind of comes around. We can be okay with it because it, intellectually we understand it, but our heart and soul is grappling with why this happened or how it happened, and, and you go through a whole gamut of emotion about how you're feeling. Another great definition of grief is reaching out for someone who's always been there, only to reach out one more time and they're no longer there. Can you just feel that? I want to call my mom one more time, but she's not going to be on the other end. And that's where that you, you kind of go, oh my God, you catch your breath and you um, can feel that sadness because you're not able to make that same connection that you might have to share good or bad news or anything that you might have wanted to, to share with your mother. That statement in itself is extremely powerful. And that to me is what, everyone thinks of when they think of grief. But what was surprising to me were all of the life events that happen like a new house, like you said, like a marriage. They're, they're all like empty nesters where it could be, you know, both these very positive things that happen in our life. And yet they are considered part of the grieving process because part of us is grieving, like in terms of marriage, you're grieving the independence maybe that you had before. But I think, you know, mostly I would assume that you counsel people in terms of grief when it comes to a death or a loss in some way. Do you have people who actually come to you and say that they have experienced a new job or a marriage or whatever, and they would like to be counseled for for grief? Like, is that something that people seek you out for? Or is that something that maybe you come to work with them on 
just because you know that this might be something that they need to work on? Is it something that people actually seek you out for? Or is it something that you feel like it needs to be brought up in your counseling sessions with them because it needs to be addressed in terms of their feelings? When we think of grief, we tend to think of divorce and death as the major things that there's loss around. When you come and work with me doing the grief recovery method, we start to uncover all those other losses that you've experienced in your life that you didn't even know were underneath these major losses. So yes, there's going to be one loss that brings you to me. It's going to be the death of a loved one, a father, a son, a husband, someone's niece, or it could be the divorce too. But we also all of a sudden go, oh my gosh, I have been accumulating so much loss over time and I just keep pushing it down. And the death or these other big losses kind of start to bring it all out so that it kind of unravels. And then we get to look at all that other stuff. So no, no one might come to me for a job loss because we kind of learn in life that we can just take care of that. But did you really do what you needed to do in order to move on to the next job and those kinds of things? So what you come to discover in grief recovery is just everything that hasn't been resolved. And then you start to say goodbye to those things that have been holding you back. Part of grief recovery is wanting you to participate in your own life again. So we're completing relationships so that you can move forward. Even when you're a kid and you get bullied on the school bus, that's a loss, right? And you stuff it down. And then you get an F on a test. That's a loss because you know you could have done better. You could have studied your parents are going to be disappointed, all those different things that go around it. So we've all experienced an, a numerous amount of loss. It's just we might not have ever looked at it that way before. I mean, when you say it that way, holy cow, I have experienced so much loss in my life, even though I have only had, you know, a few deaths that have have touched me personally. Wow, that is a different way to look at it. And that makes your job all that more impressive because you have to unpeel the layers and really get down to the nitty gritty of who the person is without all this loss. In grief recovery, we like to think of this unveiling of our losses as an artichoke. There's a saying about peeling back the onion to get to the different layers, but really in grief recovery, we look at it as an artichoke because we're peeling back the leaves to get to the heart. We have a lot of protection around our heart, and we want to peel that back a little bit so that we can take care of what is kind of underneath all that that we try to keep covered up. And it's okay to keep covered up, but at some point we have to deal with the thoughts and feelings that we have that don't get expressed. Oh, I love that. I love that quote. And I think that I'll steal that from you. That's fantastic. I would like to go through what people think of when you think of grief. And I think what people think of is as the stages of grief. And I was just listening to, I don't know if you've, if you've listened to it yet, but Brene Brown had David Kessler on talking about grief and finding meaning because he just wrote a book about the sixth stage of grief. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, correct, she wrote, actually, I think her first book was, was on death and dying, and they were the stages there. And then with David Kessler, I believe, they wrote a book on the stages of grief. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So I'd love to go into the stages of grief. I, I'm sure everyone out there has heard them. They're pretty epic, pretty paramount. There's something I feel like everyone knows about in our society. Uh, but I'd like to go through those stages, adding on this last stage that uh, David Kessler just wrote about. 
the stages that Kubler-Ross sort of indicated for grief were that you would first be in denial, then you would reach the anger stage, then you would bargain. You know, that means sort of like, if, if you could just take this away, then I'll do this, or kind of just trying to figure out how to grapple with what you're experiencing. The next stage would be depression, which would be sort of an obvious sort of falling into an inability to figure out what to do and, and be sad about what actually is happening and then accepting the loss. So I, I think those are really important. Also, uh, so David Kessler, he added a sixth stage. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross died, I think in 2004, he said. So he went to her foundation and asked their permission to add a sixth stage. And it was because he actually lost his child. So he personally went through probably what all parents think of as the worst loss that you could ever go through, you know? Uh, so he went through this loss and he talks about this process of going through that and how he had started writing a book prior to it. And then he picked up, um, what he had started writing and thought, you know, this is time. Um, so he wrote about uh, the sixth stage, and that's finding meaning. Now, we have all these stages that I think everyone has heard of. Getting angry, you know, just going, going through that process. But what I felt like was very interesting, and I, I believe that you agree with this in the, in, after our conversation first that we, we had last night, that people who are grieving don't necessarily have to go. They, I don't want people to think that they have to go through these stages exactly as they're laid out. Grief, as I'm sure you can attest to, is different for every single person. Absolutely. And so, yes, this is kind of like a map of what could potentially happen. And the way he described it was it was like scaffolding for him. It was, it was a, a, a way for him to know that he was quote unquote, normal and not alone, you know, when he was going through this personally. And I'm sure that's probably why they wrote it because they wanted people to be able to deal with that grief in some way and know that they weren't alone and know that there are different stages that you can go through. So is that your experience? Yes. I think the stages that Kubler-Ross have are all helpful as far as you know that there's anger and there's depression and all of a sudden there's a time to accept it and and those kinds of things. I did listen to that podcast too with David and I remember really loving the piece about the finding meaning in his sixth stage. And I think that's where kind of grief recovery picks up and does its it does away with all those stages because we don't need to really pinpoint ourselves in anything like that. We need to just be acknowledging that we're sad and finding meaning and finding that way to participate in our life again, right? So I remember with a client that I had in Minter and I showed her the the stages and on a piece of paper and I said, can you point to where you are? <laughs> and And then when I go back to my grief recovery certification, I thought, how funny, and I'm trying to get her to pinpoint a moment of where she is right now. But you know, in 10 minutes, that was going to change. And if I really just listened to her about her losing her son and her marriage and living in her little home alone, 
if I would have just taken time to listen to her, that would have been much more effective than trying to figure out what state she's in at that moment. And so I think his sixth stage is amazing because it helps you move beyond just being stuck in, I'm never going to get out of these stages where you have to move on. You have to find that meaning in your life so that you can smile still while missing the person that you love so much. So powerful. Yes, I agree. I think the meaning is so, so important. And I am so thankful that he realized that and was able to share that with the world and and add on to what he had created with Kubler-Ross. What I thought was interesting also about that podcast is he was saying that the meaning isn't in, and I wish I would have written it down, but the meaning isn't in the loss. The meaning is within you and what happens, what you do with that afterwards. So say someone loses, I don't know, their parent, their, their child, and they create a foundation. There's the meaning for that person, maybe part of that meaning, you know, that's just a a very simple example, but I feel like the, the, the meaning will come in time. And what Brene also brought up was, do you think that people try to find the meaning before it should be found in order to pull vault through the pain is what she said. And I thought that was really, really insightful in that I feel like people probably do that a, a very often is, you know, I wrote a book on gratitude and I feel like gratitude is extremely powerful and can help us get through really difficult times in our life. But that's not to say that I feel like you need to jump to gratitude automatically if you are going through a significant loss. You know, that gratitude will come in time, hopefully, if you determine, if you are one of the lucky ones and, and find that meaning. I think that's really important for people to know. Don't try to force the meaning. Let the meaning happen naturally. Do you feel that way? I do. You can't uh, go under grief, over grief. You have to go through it. And so no matter how gracefully you do that or how much of a mess you go through the feelings after a loss, that doesn't matter. But you you have to get through it. There's no skipping it. So yes, it would be great if we could catapult ourselves over this part back to where we can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel where things are normal again. But I think you have to kind of move through it. So part of what he's saying is like, you know, if you if you build a foundation, you're keeping yourself busy, you're keeping that memory alive, you're doing something productive on an intellectual basis. But really grief is about emotions. And so you can't really skip over that piece. You might look wonderful to everybody else keeping busy and doing great things, but you still have to stop and take care of your take care of your heart. What part of grief recovery does is help a person forgive someone or apologize for things that they might have done during a relationship that they wish they would have done different, better, or more. And in the beginning of doing my work with people, I say to them, or when we're looking at those forgiveness pieces, is that the person who has already died, they're not able to come back here to do anything different for you. So you actually have to take responsibility for what you're feeling in order to move forward. No one else can do that but you. And so if making a foundation helps you get there, yes, but 
you also have to do the heart work in order to move in a different direction so that you can start participating differently. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, complete sense. Grief is part of all of our lives and each of us will experience loss with different meaning. And so we can't go over it or under it. We have to go through it. Grief is emotional, not intellectual. So we have to give ourselves time and patience to move through it at whatever pace we can humanly handle it. How do you recommend to people to respect those emotions and not not treat it like an intellectual thing? It's, I think it's hard to do because socially, that's how we are taught how to deal with loss. There's these myths that we talk about in grief recovery, which are don't feel bad, replace the loss. Time heals all wounds. So even from a young age, we're kind of told that we're supposed to just rumble our way through it and just get get over it. So you have to step back and kind of sit with the hard stuff and let those thoughts and feelings be true and not rush things. It's hard when you say to someone that you're sad and they they kind of discount that and they say, you don't feel sad. You have so much going for you. You'll find someone else in your life. You have X, Y, Z. Um, but really, that person, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be afraid because that's what grief is about. Like you just said, that's the most important thing is just to get through those feelings, not rush those feelings. Allow yourself the time and give yourself the grace to to be human and experience a loss and to be sad about it you know I think that that's probably one of the worst things you can say to someone I mean even though it's with wonderful intent um, and trying to help them through something that's really difficult to say oh don't be sad you have so much else going for you. If you've lost a child, you can't not be sad. If you've lost a parent, you can't not be sad. If even if you lost a job, you have every right to be sad. You are grieving. So give yourself that time and that space and, and respect those feelings, because that is what you're saying will get us all through. When you'd participate in the grief recovery program and then you all of a sudden learn that the things that we grew up with like those myths and the way we've treated each other haven't been working part of what you get to do in grief recovery is then learn what's going to help so that you can change that method and really what it is for grievers is to be heard grievers aren't broken they don't need to be fixed they need to be listened to with dignity and respect And so instead of saying anything to somebody after a loss, really just being there for them. In our groups, you really just sit on your hands and you listen to everybody talk. And how amazing and healing it is to actually be able to say the words of your thoughts and feelings without being judged or criticized so that you can just get it out rather than having someone be uncomfortable in the moment and say something so ridiculous that makes you feel like you can't talk to that person again because they don't understand, right? Yes. So, so true. So true. What I would like to get back to is I would love to, for you to go over the basics of what the grief recovery method is exactly. Absolutely. It's an action program to help people move beyond any sort of loss, death, divorce, 
anything that we've experienced. You read a book. I didn't bring a book with me, but we, we read a book, and the first part of the book helps you understand what you've learned in the past that hasn't helped you. And the second part of the book gives you homework assignments that help you move forward. I don't want to give too many of those secrets away because I think that's part of the amazing part of the work is that you come and read these chapters with me and we do this work together. But ultimately, in the end, you say goodbye to the pain, isolation, and loneliness caused by a loss. The other big piece about grief recovery is is TV uses this phrase a lot in therapy about closure. Grief recovery isn't about closure. It's about completing something. I, when people talk about closure, I think of two big iron doors closing and no wind, water, rain can get through those doors. And so is that, that's how people kind of want, I want closure on this. I don't want this to ever affect my life again. But if you've actually loved someone, you know that that love can never go away and those doors can't ever really stop the love that you feel. And so we want to complete the relationship so that you can move forward rather than trying to close it off and end it because inevitably everything is going to remind you of that loved one that you have. Whether it's about the favorite meals you want to cook at the holidays, whether you drive past their house every day. So you can never take that loved one out of your life. It's about making it so that your heart and soul can integrate that love back into it by taking away that pain and discomfort that happened because of the loss. What is so powerful about what you just said and about what the grief recovery method seems to do is completing not necessarily the loss, but the relationship with the person that you lost, completing that relationship and not closing that relationship off for any future feelings or thoughts or whatever. You are honoring that relationship in in giving it the... Uh, emotional respect um, to say, I loved you so, so much and I miss you so, so much and I don't want to hurt anymore, but that doesn't mean that I don't miss you. And it doesn't mean that I didn't ever love you. I just don't want to hurt anymore. Correct. Absolutely. Awesome. I love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I'm not even, I mean, I guess we all are kind of experiencing a loss in that, you know, thankfully my kids, I don't know about yours, but um, my kids are in school every single day and have been since we had school start this year. We started a week late, but, you know, since then they've been in school every day. Knock on wood, we have not had any any cases, and so we haven't had to bring them home and quarantine and do remote learning. But the loss there is just that it's it's not normal. It's we're we are grieving the loss of normal, you know, and the loss of feeling one hundred percent safe when you go to the grocery store or the post office. Right. Are you experiencing a lot of that with clients? Are you having to walk people through that? Not necessarily right now, I think, because everybody's in a crisis mode and wondering when the next uh, stage is going to come around. You know, we're in Colorado or in our county, we're in about to get into the orange stage. And, and what are we going to do when that comes down on us? Right. So I think everyone's kind of just bracing for crisis management at the moment. But I think it's interesting. I was 
looking at something before I got here about what, what are some of the losses we've had during COVID. One of them is just being in a worldwide pandemic. Another one for people is that their businesses are closing or struggling. We've had natural disasters going on in the middle of the pandemic, whether it be tornadoes, wildfires, hurricanes. I can't imagine being in the middle of any of those and having to evacuate when you can't even take care of your own self, worrying about if there's the viruses around you, right? Inability to have a memorial service for someone who's either died before COVID or during COVID. The loss of our freedom of just being to be able to go anywhere. I, I hate going to the grocery store. I hated it before and I really hate it now. <laughs> um, loss of a career, like travel at, travel agencies or airlines. I can't, we don't even know how many people have lost their job because they were in a, in a career that was thriving before this virus got here. Loss of physical contact. I'm a hugger and it kills me not to just hug uh, people beyond my own family. And then another one is just the loss and ability to see our elderly friends and family. And coming up on these holidays, we don't even know what they're going to look like. And so we're, we don't even know how to plan that yet. So those are all losses, even though we don't really think about them as that because we're just trying to crisis manage. But each of them, you just go, oh man, not another thing I got to feel and worry about, right? Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, I couldn't even, I haven't even thought about all of those losses, including the holidays. Like we always, we go to Denver and celebrate usually with Ryan's family who lives there and we've had to cancel. They're, they're older and they've got some health concerns and we by no means want to bring anything um, to them especially because our kids are in school and because our kids at this point are still participating in dance and hockey and Ryan is a firefighter. And, you know, and even though they're extremely careful and wearing all the, they're always wearing masks now, I think it's 24 seven, even when they're in the fire station, but they're, you know, they're checking in on people with medical calls. And so God forbid we bring it to a family member and they end up suffering because of it. So, uh, yes, the loss of holidays, like breaks my heart that we won't be able to have Thanksgiving as we normally do because the holidays are the tradition of the holidays is one of my favorite things. And that is hard. So for people like me who are, as my friend Kelly Wolf on a, on a previous podcast, put it, we're good, but maybe not great. How do people who are good, but maybe not great, deal with these losses that COVID has brought with it? Well, I think you first have to take some deep breaths. And we know everybody's going through something. So we're not alone in that aspect, but I know we, we each of us feel heavy in our own ways. So I think we have to step back and take, take some deep breaths and give ourselves a pat on the back for what we've been able to control. We can't control everything, but what we can't control, we're doing our best at it, right? So I think we have to first do that kind of piece. Then I think you have to find people in your life who you can talk to, who you can say, this sucks, and they don't have to say anything back to you. They can agree with you. Um, they can share in what sucks for them, that little camaraderie thing. But I think you have to be able to have a support system right now that's going to just let you vent once in a while without having to be corrected on any of those thoughts or feelings, right? 
then I think we have to kind of figure out what we're going to do about holidays and just making it creative because it's not going to be the same. And how much fun can we actually make it for our families if we make a new tradition because we've been thrown this amazing opportunity to actually do something different? You know, so we have to maybe turn our thinking around a little bit and how are we going to make this an amazing experience for what it is. And that's hard to do, but I think we just have to do that in little five-minute increments increments in the day. You don't have to have it all planned out in a moment, but giving that yourself that ability to go, okay, so what are we going to do that's going to make this neat for ourselves? We don't know if school's going to turn around and all of a sudden we're going to be quarantined by Thanksgiving to Christmas or into New Year or our ski season change here or any of those things. So patience and having someone to talk to that can really listen to you is is going to be key. I mean, I, I think that's key all the time, at least for me. A human connection is a key component of my happiness. You know, you're a hugger, same. And and because we can't necessarily hug people that we're not living with, just connecting some way. And so I've done a lot of, for people out there who don't know about, like Marco Polo is an app where friends of mine, we get on there and it's teeny little videos. So in the middle of your day, whatever's happening, if you're cooking or getting ready or whatever, sitting in your car, waiting at carpool, which I do a lot, you know, you can send your friends a little Marco Polo and they can actually see your face instead of getting a text message that is, you know, it's still communication, but it's not the kind of communication where you feel completely connected to someone. So I feel like just the little input of video has been a huge help to me being able to do the Zoom calls, which I feel like are super important for so many people these days. You know, that's one business that's definitely thriving. (laughs) And they hit the nail on the head there. Holy cow. I think there are definitely ways that we can continue to connect. And I feel like that's always the case, at least for me. But I feel like it should be the case because for us as humans to be able to get through the hard times in life, you need to have a support system and you need to be able to rely on people um, and to connect. And I think that is what makes us human is being able to connect. So, or at least one of the things. So I think that's, that's really important. We're, we're talking about COVID obviously a little bit, but I'd love to shift back to grief and anyone out there who is listening, who is having a hard time because of some type of loss what are some action items that they can take and use in their life besides obviously reaching out to you and doing, you know, digital counseling through the grief recovery method? Celine's website will be on the show notes that are at the bottom of every podcast. So you guys could reach out if you would like to discuss um, the grief recovery method with her. But is there anything for our listeners, just a couple little nuggets of wisdom that they can take and utilize besides, you know, I I think we touched on reaching out and making sure that you have a support system. I think that's really important anytime, but especially when you're going through loss or grief, are there any nuggets of wisdom that you can share with our listeners about what they can do if they're grieving? The couple tips that I have for someone who's grieving, and we sort of just touched on it with just finding that person who will listen to you. I think that's really the number one thing I want a griever to do at this time is to make sure that they surround themselves with people who will listen to them and not judge them and not say those kinds of things that aren't helpful. 
So to me, that's one of the most important things is to find those few little people who can really listen to you. And the next thing would be to make sure that you find help if you need to not be alone. To tell somebody that I need a little help with this. I need help with carpool today. It could just be as simple as asking someone for a few favors because you can't handle everything that you've got going on. You don't have to tell them your whole life story and maybe they know enough of it to say, yes, I'd love to do those things for you because people are kind of waiting, waiting for you to give them the go ahead on some of those things. So giving yourself permission to ask for help to your friends or to your community so that you can get a little bit of help and not be embarrassed about, about doing that. I think the other piece of that is finding resources, whether it be calling a hotline or anything else that just helps you take care of yourself so that you don't unravel too much, right? I even just visited a woman yesterday and she uh, had her husband died in April, but she could tell that things were kind of unraveling for her. I'm having a few red flags, like I'm running stop signs or I'm just doing things that are a little bit more out of the ordinary than what I'm used to how I've been feeling. So if you're feeling that way, I want you to be able to find those resources or people who can help you find those resources so that you take care of you that way. I think if you are a friend to someone who's just experienced a loss, mm -hmm. I want you to not assume that that person wants to be alone. Sometimes that's one of those myths is grieve alone. Well, they're fine. They don't want me knocking on their door. They do. They do want you to knock on the door and leave a basket of goodies. You know, we can't necessarily go in and visit for hours at this point in time, but, but making sure that you touch base with two or three of your friends who you know are having a difficult time and just ask them how they're doing. Mm -hmm. Or I've been thinking about you lately. And just leave it at that and, and help them with bringing them food or money or whatever that you can just help make that a little bit easier. The other thing I want you to do if you know of someone who's grieving is to make sure that when you talk to them, you mention their loved one's name. The elephant's already in the room and the griever for surely wants to use that person's name. And so by you using it will um, make them happy as well as break that ice of just acknowledging that person. I love when people use my mother's name and I love when people like miss say my name because then they use her name. But it's so important for you to say that you've been thinking about that person and don't be afraid to use the name because they've, they want you to, they just don't know how to ask for that too. I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to get to that to talk about what people can do for the people in their life that are grieving. That's, that's a huge takeaway for me is for people who are not only going through grief, who are listening, but people who are connected to people who are going through grief. That's so important. So thank you. Those are great tips for people you mentioned who, you know, they should find someone, a group, whatever, who they can talk with and be heard by who will listen and not judge. I think that's probably almost easier said than done for some people because they aren't surrounded by people who are good listeners. They aren't surrounded by people who won't judge them. They aren't surrounded by people who are um, unconditionally supportive. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have 
grief groups. So is that something that you provide um, through the grief recovery method? And is it something that can be digital or online for people who are not local? I love doing groups. I've been doing grief recovery since 2011, and I think I've done over 30 groups. And it's between four and 12 people that attend each time. And what is so neat about it is that it's support a support group. So even after you're done with the group, you still have a relationship with those people. And now you see them at the grocery store and you, your, your bubble just got a little bigger because you've, you know, now that those people understand what you, you understand about grief and loss and those kinds of things. I did do a group this summer and it was outside. We had a great time. We had great weather to do that. I would like to do one online on Zoom. I think it would be different because you're not sitting in each other's space and who knows what distractions are happening on Zoom. But I think I could make it happen so that it would be um, an authentic experience to do that. So I'm, I'm willing to do groups. I don't have one lined up as a start date at the moment. But as soon as I get a couple calls from people, then I generally kind of make a time and a date that works with those few people and, and kind of get that going. So yes, I'm doing groups and individual work. I'm I'm okay doing it individually outside and in person, mm-hmm. um, depending on that person a little bit. So it's important to keep those things going and I'm I'm happy to because I, I know that the world is hurting and I want to be able to give people tools so that they can get through this. Yes. Please, that is exactly why I had you on to talk about this because I want I want exactly the same thing. I want to be able to provide people with tools to be able to better themselves and if they're experiencing grief or loss, hopefully this is a way that they can better themselves and their lives and bring some positivity and happiness into their world. So I loved the, the quotes that you made, and I'll make sure to, I for every guest I have on the Better Etc. Instagram page, I'm writing kind of notes underneath so that if people are out there driving and they're listening and they, they're trying to be safe, which you should be out there if you're listening in your car, they are, they are going to be on my Instagram page for at Better ETC. And I think another quote that I wanted to bring up is uh, that I went on the Brene Brown podcast when she was talking to David Kessler, he said, uh, if you don't feel it, you can't heal it. And that's pretty much exactly like what you said. Uh, you, you have to go through those emotions. You have to experience those emotions in order to get to the other side. Absolutely. So I just, I wanted to leave everyone with that quote because I think that's so important. I feel like a lot of times we, depending on our personality, obviously, but I feel like a lot of times we try to escape the emotions because we think that the if we experience the emotions, then that's going to cause us pain. And yes, it, it probably will, especially if you're going through a loss and grieving. Um, but I think that that is the only way to get to the other side and to be able to find that acceptance and find that meaning and and become happier again. So thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, I want to add a story of, I imagine you've watched the movie Inside Out. Yes, yes. And so you have all those little emotions running around in one person's head and you have happy and sadness, disgust, anger, right? And when 
joy and sadness get caught down in there and they're talking to bing bong um happiness just wants to make everything happy and not ever go to that sad place and and that what you said just reminded me of that because um, we don't really want to go to the pain all the time but if we don't feel it we're not going to feel it get unstuck from it right Mm -hmm. and so there's and i played this the other day for these graduate school students that i was doing a little education thing for and so sad happiness just wants to get bing bong going we got to get to the train and sadness sat deck next to bing bong and said like you must feel really sad right now and then bing bong talks about how the cart got pushed over the edge and they're never going to be able to get to the moon and it was just the fact that sadness sat down and let bing bong talk for a minute and then he's like okay i'm okay now now we can get to the train where instead of happiness who just wants to hurry things along sadness sat down and actually said you know let's I'm so sorry that you're feeling the way you are. And then, so that's how we, that's how we get better and get onto the healing. And that's what the grief recovery method wants us to do is kind of sit in it, acknowledge it, and get those action steps going so that we can move through it. Yes, I love it. Thank you. Okay, so one question that I ask all of my guests, including you, and it, this can be personal, professional, whatever you'd like. I, because I want people out there to think of how they would answer this question. How do you plan on, or how would you like to be better tomorrow? Hmm. The first thing that pops into my head, honestly, is how to be the best person I can be to the loved ones in my life. I think when you work with grief and you hear stories of people who have lost their loved ones and I think I'm I'm still right here with Scott, my husband. I still have the day to make with my child. So I think that whenever I hear those stories through grief work, that and I think what grief work does for me is help me make a better life for myself, a better day for tomorrow, ideally. So I want to go home and make sure that I make a nice meal, that I say I love you, that I acknowledge um, the things that I need to acknowledge in their life to make them happy. So I think that's how it would be a better tomorrow is just by um, incorporating everything that I learn and making sure that the people I love know that I love them. Great answer. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, uh, I will be posting Celine's website. It's it's a mouthful. I'll say it now, but um, it's Celine McLaren, C-E-L-Y-N-N, M-C-C-L-A-R-R-I-N-O-N-C-G-R-S dot com. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for coming to my home and being socially distant. Absolutely. (laughs) And not giving me a hug, even though I want to give you one right back. So um, tell Scott hi. And uh, you guys, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter Fan Page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.